0: If you have been with us for the other, uh, sermons in this series, you will notice one thing immediately. And that is that I am preaching on a very big chunk of scripture. So up to this point, we have been moving through Mark almost verse by verse. Um, sometimes exactly verse by verse. And so today I have the privilege of preaching 29 verses from Mark. Uh huh. Exactly. So, but in all seriousness, um, even though we'll, we'll be covering a lot, uh, today, there is a very strong, very um, uh, unifying theme through all of the passages that we're going to read. And so, and that theme um, that Mark wants us to get very clearly is the authority of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at, the authority of Jesus Christ. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He wanted the reader to understand that this is the one that we have been waiting for. And he has authority as the son of God. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm not going to, uh, we're not going to read it together since there are so many passage, so many uh, verses. I'm going to read it to you, um, but I am going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word as you are able. And I am going to, it is high. Hold on one second. There we go. All right. So beginning with verse 16, it reads, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Calpurnum. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses, com- that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of God. Amen. So you may be seated. So there is a lot that is happening um, in these verses. Uh, in most of your Bibles, you probably have subtitles that sort of make it look like these are a bunch of different, you know, sort of random events that Jesus is doing after he spent time in the desert. And so it's, it feels like, okay, all right, he, okay, he, um, he healed some people. He cast out some demons. He did a little teaching. He did a little praying, did a little more healing, right? So it feels like this random disconnected series of events. But as I stated in the introduction, uh, these are not disconnected at all. Each event, each moment in these verses reveals something very powerful about the authority of Jesus Christ in terms of his relationship with us to the body. And specifically in these these passages, um, Jesus's authority over three key areas that I want to touch on this morning are revealed. The first is that Jesus has authority over our destinies and our purpose. The second is that he has authority over our spiritual condition. And the third and last is that he has authority over our physical condition. So let's go ahead and get right into the first point. Jesus has authority over our destiny and our purpose. So the text begins with Jesus calling those first four disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And all four of these men are fishermen. And when Jesus finds them, they're in the process of fishing. Simon and his brother Andrew, are, uh, the, the, they're fishing from shore, and James and John, along with uh, Zebedee, are fishing from a boat. And some, some commentators suggest that that might indicate a class difference, right? So um, the men who are standing on the shore, they were poor, they couldn't afford a boat, um, they didn't have other workers, and then you know the, the men in the, the boat have a little bit more money. The text talks about other workers who are there along with them, right? So from the start, we see this message. Mark wants us to see very clearly that Jesus has come for all, all of us, right? That those kind of distinctions fall away. But as the story goes, Jesus calls these men and he invites them to follow him. Come follow me. And immediately, immediately, they stop what they're doing and they follow him. And, and this is remarkable, like they leave behind everything that would have sort of identified them at that moment, their occupation. They leave behind family and they follow Jesus. So, so there are a couple of things that are important to know. The first, at first glance, when you when you look at this, um, it's easy to miss some of the weight of what is happening. You could read this and simply see it as Mark trying to sort of convey a series of events about what Jesus does after he's been baptized and after he has resisted the devil and and been tempted in the wilderness. And that would not be incorrect. Mark is letting us know. He wants us to know that it is important that you see that one of the first things Jesus does is he goes out and he calls followers. He calls disciples that communicates something powerful in and of itself. Mark is letting us know that Jesus is not the Messiah who's coming on the scene and he's just going to do this thing all by himself. He immediately gathers a team of people. And it also sort of foreshadows for us this truth that what we will see later on, that Jesus, the authority that he has, he shares with us. We have been given authority. He calls them, he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's already sharing that authority. But there's more to it. So as we read this text on this side of the cross, right, we already know who Jesus is, right? We, we, we know how the story ends. And even if you're here and you're not a Christian and you don't necessarily believe that thing, you still know, at least, at the very least, you know what Jesus said about himself, right? We know that he is the son of God. They did not know that. Those words come. Follow me. See, we we hear that and we see the the Sunday school image of blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, um, you know, standing with Simon and Andrew and John and James and saying, "Come, follow me." And they have like little nets and everybody's smiling and then they go. And they um, Hadassah at her school, they just did a little sort of enactment of this and they had their little sticks with the fish on the end and they walked around the gym and they were being fishers of men, right? That's how we see this story. Yeah, come follow me. And they follow Jesus. Come follow me was huge. See, that was not what prophets said. That was not what rabbis said. You didn't walk up to people and say, come follow me. You didn't have, there was no reason for anyone to follow you. Follow you for what? come, follow me no that 's not what people said. You would say, "Come, follow God, right, come, I can teach you about the right it 's not come, follow me. If you walk into Kid City right now and you ask Kadasa to come follow you, she is not going to she does not know you right now, some of us right she might she might follow she might not follow me on a good day, but right, but some of us she may. But if she's never seen you before, that's not going to happen. Now, if you say to her, you know, um, Hadassah, your mom wants you to come in here, then she's more likely to come with you. That's what that usually looked like. Come, follow God. Jesus says, come, follow me. And they come. Right there, we are seeing Jesus assert his authority. Not just as somebody who can tell you good things about God, right? He's not rabbi in that sense. He's not prophet. He is God. He is God. Come follow me. And they follow him. They recognize something, something. And again, they are on the other side of the cross, but there's something about the authority of Jesus. There's something about the way he says that thing that speaks to them and they follow him. The other thing that we need to pay attention to, and this is the biggest thing, and this is the language that is used. It's not inconsequential um, that the, the first disciples were fishermen. And we see this in the language that Jesus uses. When he, um, when he calls Simon and Andrew, Jesus tells them if, if, if they follow him, he'll make them fishers of men. So this would not have been an uncommon metaphor um, for people who would have been the first readers of this book. In the Old Testament, this metaphor of fishing men, fishing uh, people, it was a way of talking about judgment and condemnation. I'm going to read a passage to you from Habakkuk uh, chapter one. I'm going to read verses 14, 15 and 17. And it says, "Um, have you made you have made people like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? This image of being fished, being gathered, it was a powerful image because of the damage that a hook could cause. So, you know, again, these fishermen, they're standing out there with their nets, but, but people at this time would have also fished with a rod and a hook. And there wasn't so much, you know, we weren't sport fishing, right? You, you fish to survive. So the, the hook meant destruction. When you fish, that fish dies, right? And it died, I mean, it dies kind of violently, right? Not only does it suffocate because it can't breathe, like it's on a hook, that's, that sucks, right? That's not a, that's not a nice way to do it's, it's This is a violent thing. It's a violent image. And so this idea of fishing men, Jesus is turning it on its head. See, in many ways, that is exactly what he's doing when he calls them. Their lives, the lives that they knew prior to that moment when they decided to take up whatever it is that they had and follow him, their lives were destroyed. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we die, right? That's the whole premise of our faith. There is a part of us, all of us, that dies, and then we have to be reborn. They were, in fact, destroyed. But it wasn't a destruction that was unto death forever. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I will give you the same sort of authority to go out and witness. And I'm calling you not just to death and destruction. I'm calling you to a new thing, to a new life. Jesus has authority over our lives, over our destinies, over our purpose. See, so when I say that, and when I say it even sometimes to myself, right, because we, we talk about this all the time. Jesus has authority over our lives. We give him our lives, right? I don't know that we get the weight of that thing. I don't know that we get the, the magnitude of what that means. See, if we got what that means, if we really let that sink in, then that would change our whole outlooks on life, right? There are some of us in this room who are in situations. We are in jobs. We are in Ph.D. programs, We are in various places and situations and we are not always feeling very happy in those places, right? We are doing everything we can to get out of those places. We sit there and we forfeit the authority that we have. God has called us to some places and God has given us some dreams and some visions and said, I have given you authority in this space. And there are a whole lot of us that are so busy trying to get out, trying to get away, trying to not, that we are missing the activity of God in our lives. We're not walking in the authority that he has given us. If we believed that God had authority over our destinies and that he had authority over our purpose, that he called us into places, we would be in those places and we'd be a whole lot different when we were there. People would see something in us that was a whole lot different than what they probably see most of the time. There are others of us who forfeit our authority in a different way. We're not complaining about where we are in fact we are clinging to where we are because see we know god has called us somewhere else there's some of you who feel like god is calling you into academic programs and you're like i don't know i'm paying for that that was not jesus nope right there's some of you who god is calling to leave that job to get up and go to go somewhere else and you are saying nope I can't be the Lord because I got bills to pay. I don't see how that's going to happen, right? There are some of us who forfeit our authority because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid to move because we really have believed the lie of the enemy that we do this thing all by ourselves, right? That if if my bills are going to get paid, it's going to be paid because I'm going to have a good job and I'm going to do what I need to do, and then they're going to give me a paycheck, and so then I will be able to give the bank their paycheck, right? We, we have believed that thing, that we do this in our own strength. We don't believe, we don't believe that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has authority over our destiny. We don't believe that he has given us purpose. We don't believe it. And so we are either afraid to go, <laughs> or afraid to stay, afraid to be. We are afraid to be the people he has called us to be. But if this text has anything to to say to us at all this morning, please know Jesus Christ has authority over our life. You have submitted your life to him. He has authority over your destiny. He has given you a purpose. And so the places that you are in are places that you either need to stay Because the Holy Spirit has led you there, or you need to go ahead and follow the voice that you know has been speaking to you. That that leading that you know is on the inside of you, and you need to go. So this brings us to our second point. Jesus has authority over our spiritual condition. So there are two places in the text where we see this, and it's um, almost mirror images of each other. the first the first thing that we see, right, is we see Jesus goes into the synagogue. And so we're going to talk about him in the synagogue and then we're going to talk about him um, at Simon's house. So first he's in the synagogue. And, and when he's there, he's teaching. And the text tells us that um, that the people recognize that he was teaching with authority. Now, when, when I have read those verses in the past, it, um, it's one of those things you can read over. But if you read it carefully, it won't make sense to you because it's kind of like uh, he Jesus taught with authority, unlike the teachers of the law. And so, like, the question that should come into him was like, well, how did they teach then? Like, did they not have authority? Weren't it their synagogue? Like, how, did, how was teaching happening beforehand? So, what was happening before, it, remember, as, um, as Pastor David set up for us when he was introducing this passage, the, Mark opens up, there's been years of silence, right? In other translations of this verse, it says, it calls the teachers of the law the scribes. Because essentially, that's all they were. They were learned men, right? They knew um, the law. They knew the scriptures. And so their teaching was to stand and to read. That's that's the authority they had. They could, I can stand and I'm able to read. And so I can read to you what the scribes say. That's what the scrolls say. That's it. That was their authority. So Jesus comes and he's teaching. He's actually teaching. He's not just bound to what the scroll says. He is teaching. And so that's what that means when he says he teaches with authority. And what we see happen in this moment while he's doing all of this teaching, and we don't know exactly what he said, but there's a demon-possessed man. And the, the, the translation that we read um, says, uh, you know, a man with an unclean spirit. And that, that's true. But I'm going to, he was demon-possessed. And, and it's important that we say demon-possessed there are some contexts where I could preach this message and people would be absolutely certain that there are demons. And so there'd be no reason that would go without saying, hey, yeah, demon possessed. Yeah. We know demon possessed. You might be demon. We need to cast out some demons right now. Right? Like there, that happens, right? That, that's, that there are churches right now where demons are being cast out of people. And I don't mean like in third, right now in Chicago at this moment, there's a demon being cast out. Right? That's not us. Right? So, so <laughs> I, I'm under no illusions about who we are. we, when we hear demonic, we think like, uh, yeah, you know, that's a symbol for, you know, just the corruption and oppression in the world. And yes, sure. But this is what I need you to know. There is actual demonic forces in this world like when the bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities now i'm a sociologist and i love the idea that you know that we think about the systems and the corrupt but sure we all there's demonic activity in the world right and this is important This is important because part of the authority that Jesus is demonstrating here is that he has authority over those things and he's given us authority over those things. And so what happens when we don't acknowledge that there are there is actual demonic activity in the world? We don't ever pray again. We don't say a single word against it. Right. When we think about corruption, when we think about injustice, we think, well, what can we do then? We can march. We can do this. We can organize. And all of those things are fantastic. We absolutely should march. We absolutely should organize. We should sign up and bring food to that homeless. Right? Like all of these are things that we should absolutely do. You know what else we should absolutely do? We should absolutely pray against the demonic activity in our world, right? We need to recognize it, call that thing what it is, and then take the authority that we had. Like we don't give it power. We have authority over it. So that's what we do. So that's why we will say the demon possessed man, <laughs> the demon possessed man, that demon inside of that man calls out to Jesus. And that demon says, what, what are your plans? What do, what do you intend to do with us? I know who you are. You are the son of man. And Jesus says, be quiet. Essentially, he says, shut up <laughs> and get out. And that's what the demon does. Because, see, that's what demons have to do at the name of Jesus. That's that's the power of the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. When he says, shut up, get out, you shut up and you get out. (laughs) That's why we don't have to be afraid of demonic activity. When we say, shut up, get out, in the name of Jesus, when we say, no more, in the name of Jesus, right, those demons have to flee. And so that's what happens. The demon leaves. Now, when I've read this passage in in the past, I've read this, and up until I was preparing for this sermon, actually, I've always read these moments where Jesus quiets the demons and won't let them speak who he is. As him, you know, that being just one other part of him not being ready to announce who he, he was, what his mission in the world was, right? We see, right, when he heals, and we'll get there later on, when he heals the man with leprosy, he says, don't tell anybody who did this, right? So I've always seen that as being one and the same. Oh, this is just Jesus not wanting people to know yet who he is. I don't think that's what's going on in this passage. Darkness can never reveal light. It it cannot. Darkness has no power. It cannot produce light. It can't show you light. You will never find light in darkness unless light enters. When Jesus says, shut up and get out, it's not because he's afraid that the other people will hear the demon say it and then they'll know who he is. No, no. I believe wholeheartedly that what is happening in this passage is that we're seeing a foreshadowing of what what we all need to be looking out for now. In this world, we are promised that Jesus will return. And in these last days, there's going to be a whole lot of ugliness in this world. And there's some ugliness that gets hard to discern. We can see racism when it looks like um, a a police officer killing an unarmed black child. We can see that, right? We can see classism when it looks like people walking by the homeless and with no compassion, with no mercy. We can see those things. There are things that we can look at very clearly and we can see that's evil. That's ugly. There are other things that we're not so... It's harder for us to discern, it's hard for us to look at our culture and see how we are all being formed to sort of think that, you know, what life is about, be happy. You do you. What makes you feel good? Find that thing that just gives you joy, and that's what you do. And you don't care about what anybody else says, right? It's hard to look at that and see that as the activity of Satan in our world. That's not what Scripture—our our Bible tells us that we— lay our lives down for Jesus Christ that we surrender all right that we are followers of God and so we don't just do what makes us feel good we don't just do what makes us happy we are serving our Lord and some of the places he might call us to go may not feel very good some of the things he may ask us to do may not be very comfortable. If we listen to the messages of our, of our culture, we would not ever speak Jesus's name anywhere because it's not comfortable to go somewhere and talk to people who don't know Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord. That's not, that's uncomfortable because, you know, we live in a society where no, everybody has different beliefs and Jesus is Lord for me. and He's Lord for maybe some of you, but that doesn't, we don't, you don't push that down people's throats right that's the world that we live in it's harder to identify that as ugliness it's hard to identify that as evil that sometimes looks like light that sometimes looks like making sure everybody feels included and special and wonderful and loved that's not the love of God God's love doesn't just leave you where you are God's love is transformative it will always call you out of darkness it doesn't say hey i see that you're in darkness Don't be scared. Just stay there. Get get, get used to it. Don't it feel good? Like if you, if you think about it, darkness is so peaceful and calming that that's not love. That's not love. We need to be able to recognize the evil in our world for what it is. We have to be able to see. And so I think that when Jesus tells those demons to be quiet, he is setting the precedence that absolutely not evil things don't reveal the truth of God. That's not where you find out who God is it will always be in the word of God. It will always be in the fellowship of the believers of the saints. It is not going to come from your favorite television program. It is not going to come from the places that are masquerading as light in our world. Does that make sense? And still, regardless of how it comes, we have been given authority, the same authority that Jesus Christ had, he has given to us to say, shut up and get out. In the name of Jesus. Jesus has been given authority over our spiritual lives. So here's the other side of that coin. We find Jesus in, in Simon's house and, um, and the, their mother-in-law has a fever. So when you read this, because of the way we understand fevers, this looks like a healing. She was sick and Jesus healed her. But that's not exactly what's going on. Um, In the Old Testament, fevers were understood to be not a symptom of some illness that you had. Fevers were understood as being um, in and of themselves a problem. Like that was evidence of some sort of a judgment or punishment. You had a fever because you didn't obey um, the command. You didn't keep some element of God's covenant. Fevers were, were indication that there was something spiritual going on, not just that you had the flu. When Jesus takes her hand and he tells her to get up and, you know, and, he, and she, that fever leaves her, even the language, like we, our Bible say the fever um, left her. A, a stronger translation would be that fever forsook her. Like it is um, a very powerful thing that happens here. Fevers were seen as some sort of judgment from God. And the only way that you got healed from your, fe- your fever was direct um, intervention. Of God. So fevers were seen as some kind of judgment, some sort of punishment from God. And the only way that you were delivered from that fever was a direct intervention from God. Jesus Christ, in that moment, is that I have authority, not just to heal your body, I have authority over your spiritual condition. He had the authority to heal her, to, to remove the judgment, to remove the punishment. It is, in fact, the case that the, that the consequence of sin is punishment. It is death. It is judgment. But Christ took that. And so we don't have to deal with that anymore. We no longer stand condemned. We no longer stand punished because of the activity of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he touches her hand and stands her up, he is asserting, I have authority over your spiritual condition, and I have come to make that thing right. So we see Jesus has authority over demons, he has authority over every demonic force, and he has authority over our spiritual conditions. He has the authority to say, I take away the judgment. I take away the punishment. That's powerful. (laughs) That is powerful. He doesn't just have control and, and authority over our lives and our destinies and our purpose. He has authority over our spiritual condition. Every part of you, those things that are where you are still in bondage to sin, where you are still struggling, where you hear the lies of the enemy speaking louder to you than you hear the truth of God. Jesus has authority over that thing. And he can say, be quiet and come out. You don't have to believe that lie. It's a lie. You can call it what it is. He has authority over our spiritual condition. He has died for our sin. We don't have to stand in judgment and condemnation. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Anything. You can walk boldly and stand uprightly before a God who loves you and has sacrificed all for you, who has authority of every part of your life and has given you authority. And so this brings us to the last point. Jesus has authority over our physical condition. So in this last movement in our our passage, we see Jesus healing a man with leprosy. And so this man comes to Jesus. um, He is, we don't know what kind of uh, you know, condition he had you know, leprosy covered a wide range of skin conditions, but he has, a, he is a leper and he comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees and he says, If you are willing, I know you can make me clean. And the text tells us that Jesus was filled with compassion and so he touches this man and he says, Be clean. Um, there are a couple things that are that, that that we have to see here. This again is not just a healing. Uh, this is not just Jesus restoring this man 's physical condition. When Jesus cleans this man, he is restoring his entire whole self. It is not just a physical healing it 's a social healing as well he 's restoring him to the place in a community. Many of you may know this, right? In in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, there were laws and prescriptions for how you treat people when they have leprosy. Now, I believe that these were given, this is this was a good thing. This was a good gift from God. It was a way of trying to keep communities safe, keep them well to make sure disease didn't just spread all throughout The land, right? So people were supposed to be isolated and and away from the larger community. And then once they were healed and better, there were all of these rituals that you needed to go through. And so and we see this, Jesus tells him, once "You, you are clean. I am willing. And the man is clean. And then he says, don't tell anybody, but go and show yourself to the priests. And then go through the ceremonies that Moses commanded so that, you know, you can be restored. Jesus did not just heal his physical self. Now, of course, the man doesn't do that because that's how we do, right? That's, that is what we do. But Jesus did tell him, go show yourself to the priest. He's healing his body, and he's also restoring him in the community. He's saying, hey, I, you are restored. You, it's a holistic healing. This is what I want to say about that. What had happened by the time Jesus comes on the scene is leprosy was not seen as, you know, a person that has this problem of leprosy. People who were lepers were a problem. That's a very important distinction. It's one thing to be a person with a problem. It is quite another thing to be a problem. So last week, um, Susan spoke to us about the refugee situation in Syria, and I know many of you are aware of what's going on over there and the, the, the huge crisis that we have right now. Those people in many European countries right now are no longer seen as people with a problem. They're not seen as people who are trying to escape horrific situations. They are seen as a problem. You are now a plague. You are now. You are going to take our jobs. You are. Ta- we don't have the resources. We can't support. It's. A, you are. That. I don't know if you've seen the video that went around of the um, the Hungarian camera woman who um, trips. Anybody have seen that? Trip. So there's a, a a video that goes and there's a womp. She's a journalist. So she's there with her camera. She's supposed to be, just recording what happens and there are people who are running toward the border of Hungary and there are police officers right there are people there who are trying to wrestle round people up and keep them from doing that but it's like impossible so she takes it upon herself to be a good citizen and so she uh tripped there's an old man carrying a child and he's running and so she t- puts out her foot to trip him so he'll fall like you are not gonna make it over there and then there's another uh young teenage it looks like a teenage girl maybe even uh, pre-adolescent and she kicks her you you don't you don't do that when you see people who have problems. you do that when you see problems right We can relate here it's one thing to think of of a group of people who are trying to come into our country as people who are escaping horrible situations people who have problems right when we see people as people as being problems, we talk about, well, let's build a wall so that nobody can cross it. Let, how about, I know, we'll just deny um, all the rights that we have decided are basic rights for human beings who live here. We'll say, nope, not for you, in hopes that they leave. We'll call them illegals. We'll, we will demonize them because they're not people with a problem. They're not people. They're a problem. By the time Jesus comes around, this man with leprosy was no longer a person with a problem. He was a problem. So in the text that I read, it says Jesus, filled with compassion, reaches out and he touches him. He says, I am willing and the man is clean. There's some translations that say um, Jesus was indignant and he touches him. He reached out his hand and he touches him and he's clean. And I, I deliberately did not choose that translation um, because, it, you know, there, there's there's different... Manuscripts and the one that says has compassion is one that's more, more familiar and so I wanted to go ahead and read that one so we not get caught up on words but I think Jesus was indignant is probably a really good translation as well. Not that Jesus was indignant that this man would dare come, cause we know that's not the case, cause he reaches down and he touches him and he makes him clean. He's not indignant that he would have the audacity to fall down before him with his nastiness and ask to be healed. That's not what he's indignant about. He's indignant about the situation that he sees. He's indignant about the injustice that has caused this man not to be a person with a problem, but to be seen as a problem itself. And Jesus takes authority over even that ugliness and he heals his whole self. So we in this church, we have talked about being more active in our community, and we want to be, um, we want to to live the mission of Jesus Christ. We want to be light in this dark world. We're not content to just sit here and talk about when we all get to heaven. We want to 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 usher in, to help participate in the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? If the only thing that we get to is a bunch of ideas that we think are good ideas and we can identify things that we think are bad things, and we can strategize because we're all really smart people, and so we can figure out how to strategize. If that's the farthest we get, we will be ineffectual. What we have to do is, first of all, see, call evil for what it is. We have to pray, and we have to step into the authority that we have, meaning we need to see things the way Jesus saw it. It's not just, okay, um, bad situations. It's ugliness, it's evilness, it's demonic, and we've been given authority over it. We have to walk in that. We have to live in that. We have to know it. Too many of us, because we don't believe that thing, we kind of like see no evil, hear no evil, and so we don't speak against evil. And I don't mean that in a physical sense because probably most of us in this room don't fall into the category of people who are like, I don't see the problems of the world. I'm not going to talk bad about the problems of the world. I'm not, right? That's probably not us. No, we see no spiritual evil. Right? We see no spiritual wickedness. And so we speak nothing against it. We don't speak truth. We don't speak light into that darkness. We think we can do it on our own. And so, what the passage this morning tells us is that Jesus has given us authority over all of it. And here's the last point Jesus has also given us the authority to heal. Now, I know when I say that, that, that is a touchy space. For a lot of people, if you are someone who grew up in a church um, that very much talked about healing, right, and the fact that God will heal and you believe that God will heal. If you've ever had any kind of experience where you prayed for somebody to get better and they didn't or you prayed for yourself to get better and they didn't, that can do something to you, right, because you start to feel like, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not what God, maybe that's not a real promise. And so we do a lot of gymnastics in our spiritual gymnastics to get away from the fact that Jesus actually did heal people. And he actually tells us that we have been given authority and power to heal people. And so we talk about it being, oh, it's just spiritual healing, right? We, we can spiritually heal people because we, you know, we can offer them Jesus. Or, um, well, healing happens in a number of, now, and this isn't, that's true, right? So I'm not. That is true. Or we say healing happens in a number of ways, right? So if you pray for somebody to get better and they don't, well, maybe that was God healed them because they knew Jesus. And so even if they die, they're going to heaven. Like that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a form of, there are a lot of things that we do to try to reconcile the fact that I, I have prayed for people to get better and they didn't. So here's, here's what I want to say to us about that. Because part of the authority that we have been given is to heal. And so we ought to walk in that thing too. What does that mean? Does it mean that every time you pray and ask God to heal somebody, they will be healed? No. Does it mean that if you pray and ask God to heal someone and they don't get healed, it's because there was something wrong with you, like you didn't have enough faith, right? Your, your walk ain't right, so how you can't pray for anybody to get healed because you know the sin in your life, right? So no, that's why God didn't answer that. Prayer. No, no, God is sovereign, and all of us. Every prayer that we pray, every prayer that we pray, because when we Healing is a prayer, right? Because we, we can't heal anybody in our own strength. It would be asking God, the power of God to heal through us, right? Every prayer that we pray, we are always trying to attune ourselves to what God is doing. And we are never perfectly in line with what God is doing. And there's some times where you might pray some things and you have all the faith in the world faith bigger than the size of a mustard seed and it doesn't happen because maybe you were not in line with what God desired to do. That happens. That doesn't mean there was something wrong with your faith and it doesn't mean that God is a liar. It means that God's will and your will were not in sync that day. What it doesn't mean for us is that we should walk around not doing the things God has called us to do. It doesn't mean that when we see someone who is sick, we should not prayerfully ask for their healing and believe that they can be healed. God has given you authority. God has given me authority and we forfeit our authority every single day because we believe a lie. We believe a lie that God doesn't love us. We believe a lie that his word isn't true. We believe a lie that actually where you are feels really good. And so why do something? We believe so many lies and so we forfeit our authority. Jesus took authority over our physical condition. He took authority over our spiritual condition. He took authority over our destinies, over our futures, over our purpose. And the first thing he did was call disciples. And he said, I give you this authority as well. We on this side of the cross know that's how the story ends. He has called each and every one of us and he has given us that same authority. And so my call to you this morning is to stand in that authority. Walk in the power that God has given you. Take it in the spaces that you've been called in on your job. There are people who need to hear from you. There are things that God wants to do through you. You don't have to be afraid of any. The worst thing that will happen is that you pray a prayer that you're not in line with God's will. And, it, and he says, no, no. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. The, the judgment is gone. The condemnation is gone, right? You're, that's the worst thing. And I tell my daughter this all the time. When you make a mistake, that's an opportunity. To, don't do that again next time, right? That, that's it. That's it. The worst thing that ha- can happen is that you learn something more about God. The worst thing that can happen is that you see some area, some weakness in your own life. That's the, that, and I, to me, that's a good thing. <laughs> to me, that's a good thing. Stand in the authority. Stand in the power that you have been given. Amen. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and I'm going to pray for our offering as well. I think I don't see our... Yes, There's our our ushers are making their way back. Um, I just want to remind... Any of you who are visiting with us for the first time, I want to just say welcome again. And um, after the service, please do take um, an opportunity to go to the hospitality table and um, and and, you know let them lay eyes on you. (laughs) Um, Bow your heads with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you are such an amazing God. You are an amazing God, and your goodness, your holiness, your righteousness, your love, it's unfathomable. You are a sovereign, all-powerful God. You can do any and everything you decide to do. You do not need us at all, and yet the desire of your heart is to be in relationship with us. You don't need us to accomplish anything, and yet you call us, and you give us power, and you say, I have made you co-creators. You are co-heirs with Christ. You don't need us, and yet you choose to use us. You choose to fellowship with us. You choose to to invite us into your kingdom. And you choose to give us purpose and mission. You choose to send us out into the world as imperfect as we are. You choose to use us in the amazing work of glorifying your name. That's amazing to me, Lord. That's amazing to me, God. And I don't know that I will ever understand it. I certainly know that I won't get it on this side of glory. You are an awesome God. You are an awesome God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God, it is my prayer that not a single person in this room, not a single person in this building, God, will walk out of this place continuing to forfeit the authority that you have given us. God, you have paid the highest price for our lives. You have given us authority, Lord. You have given us authority in this world. And so often we are just too content to just sit on our butts and forfeit it. I I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will change us so that not a single person will leave from this place content to do that again. I thank you that you give us time, that you give us days to learn what it means to serve in your kingdom. And God, I thank you that your word tells us that your perfect love casts out all fear. So in the name of Jesus, I say, fear be gone. If that is the thing that is hindering any person, I pray God that through the power of your Holy Spirit, when they walk out of here today, when we walk out of here today, we will walk out of here unafraid. We will walk out of here with the boldness and the authority that you have given us. And we will speak to darkness and we will say, let there be light in the name of Jesus, not in our name, because our name means nothing, but we are in you. And so we can speak the powerful name of Jesus over darkness in our world, over the demonic forces in our world, and we can say, shut up and get out in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God, I pray that we would not resist it, that we would not be afraid of it, that we would walk in it. God, I thank you for the places that you are calling us. I thank you that there are people here who you are calling to higher levels in the name of Jesus. You have given dreams and you have given visions. I thank you that you have already, equipped. if there is anyone who is struggling right now, because you, they heard you clearly, Holy Spirit. They heard you say, do this thing, leave this place. And the only thing that has kept them from moving is that they, well, how will I pay for it? How will I do it? I come against that in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that you are our provider. You have given us everything that we need. So I pray now that that person will walk in boldness and they will be obedient to the things that you have called them to do. God, you are an amazing Amazing, amazing God. Hallelujah. I pray, God, that you will seal this word in our hearts, Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you would let this seed be planted on fertile ground and it would produce good fruit in our lives. Not just today, but please work this thing in our spirit so that throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout this year, we will continue To grow in our ability to walk in the authority you've given us. And so, Father, I pray now for our offering. God, I thank you that this is just one other way that you have allowed us to worship you one other opportunity that you have given us to stand up and to say to every force of evil in the world, that we depend not on ourselves, that we don't depend on a job, that we know that God is our provider, that we don't fear scarcity. We're not afraid of where our next paycheck will come from or our meal will come from because we know that our God will provide for all of our needs. And even if we are hungry, there are people today that are hungry. God, you, you are more than bread. You are more than life. There is nothing the enemy can do to us. And so I pray, God, that people will give and that as they give, it won't be half-heartedly. It won't be just because this is the moment in the sermon where you do that. I pray, God, that people will do it as a declaration that our God is awesome, that our God is powerful, that our God is loving and merciful, that our God is, in fact, provider of everything that we need. Thank you, God. And I ask that you will multiply these gifts and that people use them in a very powerful and a very tangible way to advance your kingdom in this world. It's in your holy, powerful, matchless name that I pray. Amen.